0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. You're
1: just being indoctrinated that there's a certain way in which you're supposed to show up and that way in which you're supposed to show up is not you. Like... Like if you're being yourself, you're, you're being mischievous, right? You're being, (laughs) right. And I think, and this is why I really love the title unmistakable creative is for you to be creative is almost a rebellion against all of that. All of, all of what your teacher said, all of what your parents said, all of what society said all of what like your friends that are telling you, like you got to buy a Tesla because everyone has a Tesla. Like everyone is like telling you to live a certain way. And for you to then be like, no, I'm going to follow my curiosity and just do what I want is such a revolutionary thing these days. And then the most ironic part is then schools will invite you back and be, and praise you for being so creative. And then you're like, but you didn't help me. You were telling me the whole time not to be this.
0: I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500 episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. We go sell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Jeff, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I found out about your work by way of uh, you sending me a message on Instagram. And, you know, when I saw that, you know, your website was called Rediscover Your Play, I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, this is right up my alley. Uh, something that's critically important to creative people. But before we get into all of that, I want to start asking you, what social group were you a part of in high school and what impact did that end up having on the choices that you've made throughout your life and career and where you've ended up?
1: Yeah, I love this question. I love that you asked this question. When I first heard heard you ask that on a podcast, I was like, oh, that's good. Because <laughs> I was such a nerd, so, like, I, I have a whole video that I did for like this True Life Stories where I share my most embarrassing story of my teenage years, and um, it it evolved. I'll, I'll give you the short version. Was basically in eighth grade, I did whatever I could to become cool, right? So mm. I I'm Filipino and black, so my hair is becomes like a microphone, and I used to steal my sister's Vidal Sassoon moose. And put it on here because because all of the cool guys because I I lived in a predominantly white suburb of Chicago all had bangs and it was just like you had to have bangs that you could like flick out of your face so I converted my fro into bangs that I didn't realize by fifth period moose dries up and then it just becomes a raccoon's butt that just like emanates from my forehead right uh-huh. so like i'm doing everything i'm buying z cavaricis and Gerbots. i'm doing whatever i could to be um accepted right
0: yeah and
1: then i remember being in you know wanting to go to this party that was going to like get me in right and i uh had to beg a friend Uh, to bring me because they were only bringing certain people. It was exclusive, even though it was eighth grade. Oh, goodness. And I remember (laughs) being there and I was with Antonio Santiago and Joy Gomez, one of the few Latino kids that that were there. And um, I remember when we got up to the entrance of the party, uh, there was a scuffle. It was like a little fight that was going on with some other people that I knew. And it was a fight between the kids that were part of the party were were mostly white guys and like a couple black friends of mine right and at one point they pushed each other and the uh, the like like the I don't know leader of the party was just like we don't want any niggers at this party wow yeah and i Wait. remember and in my story i tell this in more detail but i remember being like shit they're going to find out that i am like and i i was thinking the whole time like i just want to get in and it just also made such a pain in me because i was like like i wasn't thinking of my friends that were getting kicked out but i was thinking about myself right and then i remember getting up to the entrance after the scuffle and you know the guys looked at antonio they looked at joey and then they looked at me and they were like you know, who is he, is he with you? And Antonio's like, he's Latino. And I'm like, I'm not. But I just want to get in this party. And they were like, all right. And they just nonchalantly let me in. But that nonchalant was so nonchalant for them. But it was like everything for me. And then I remember walking into the entrance and I really felt like I left a part of myself out there, like a majority of myself out there. And now finally I was surrounded by all these cool kids and, you know, it was a pool party and everyone's having fun. And I felt the loneliest I had ever felt in my life at that time. Um, And then I remember like making a pact right there to be like, I'm done. Like I'm done being cool. So like freshman year of high school, I just stayed in my basement, played video games and like made up games for myself to entertain myself. And then eventually some of my other nerdy friends that were tired of trying to be cool would join me in my basement and we would just invent crazy games down in my basement. You know, like, like just we build forts. I mean, we're like 14, 15 years old building forts and trying to knock each knock it down with socks and things like that. Just ridiculous stuff because that was what resonated with me. And then what's ironic is that is the work I do now (laughs) where I create safe spaces for people to address really challenging issues, but through play, because that was the one safe space, you know, my basement where I could be me and I could let other people be themselves.
0: Yeah. Well, you mentioned your boat. So that means we got to be close in age.
1: Oh yeah. Same age. Yeah.
0: Like I'm 42. Okay, I'm exactly yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So, you know the 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 thing I wonder about is uh, one you know the dynamic of being you know half black half Filipino. Mm-hmm. Um, how that impacts your relationship with you know, your friends who are black. And Giant Nerd is, you know, like, it, it's funny, Isabel Wilkerson wrote this book called Cast, which I just finished reading, where she talks about the biases and stereotypes that we all unconsciously have, you know, about black people. Mm-hmm. Giant Nerd is not one of those, I think, that comes right. up in popular culture. Um, it's funny, when you're mentioning the hair, like, the first image that came to my mind was Kid and Play. You remember those guys? Oh,
1: yeah, I, I used <laughs> to do the Kid and Play with my friends at, at dance. We knew the whole,
0: we know the whole routine. (laughs) Well, so navigating that dynamic of being, you know, sort of both biracial um, and, you know, sort of like not like more or less defying stereotypes, not even fitting any of the stereotypes. How did that impact your relationship with your black friends?
1: Oh, I mean, it was, it was tough, man. I remember my sisters would get rejected from both the white kids and the black, um, uh, kids, especially the, uh, black women, when there was like, because, you know, we're not fully black, like, you know, so, so it was always, I always felt like I was an outsider all the time, you know? And even when I would go to the Caribbean where my dad's from, he's from the small island of St. Vincent, I felt like an outsider. If I went to the Philippines where my mom was, I felt like an outsider. So I, I, I took on that veil, You know, um, of the outsider, Richard Wright's outsider or the or invisible man, um, because that's how I really felt. I really felt like like um, it was my coping mechanism. It also didn't help that my last name was Harry. So so a lot of people would call me Harry Jeff or they would (laughs) say or or the bullies they did this every year from third grade to eighth grade they would be like you know if your name was richard your name would be harry dick and then that was my <laughs> name for like a decade and i think the only reason why i have humor is because i needed it to cope with that time
0: yeah <laughs> wow um well, I mean, so, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that we're, we're having a conversation about race and, you know, here we are, what, almost 30 plus years after that incident. Um, and we're the same age when you see like one, what has been your own experience of race throughout your life um, and dealing with, um, you know, like, you know, the fact that you are a minority um, when you go into social situations, work situations, like what's been your experience of that?
1: Well, I think it's interesting because my name's Jeff Harry, right? Yeah. So that could that has to be the whitest name. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> That's <true>. Jeff Christopher <laughs> Harry. So you'd be like, so I even remember getting into college and I, I was moving in with this guy named Ephraim Acuse, and I thought he was gonna be really like ethnic, and he was just a regular white dude, right? So um I think in many situations people think I'm white until I show up and then they're like, oh, oh, hi you know? Um, And then, you know, depending on what, you know, organization or company I was at, I remember feeling as if I had to code switch a lot. Like, I remember being at Toys R Us, like at the corporate office, like this, one of my dreams, I started writing toy companies when I was like in fifth grade, right? Um, And I kept writing them because I wanted to work for the toy industry. And then eventually I was working at, Toys R Us at the corporate office and it was going to be my dream come true. And from there I was going to move on to some and become a toy designer and all these things. Right. Um, And this was in Paramus, New Jersey, and I was living in Brooklyn. So I was commuting like two hours to go there. And I remember being part of this meeting where we, I was part of Toys R Us international and they were talking about how customers don't act the same way in Spain as they act in Japan, as they act in Canada. And like, I raised my hand and I'm like, well, you know, it is different cultures. So maybe we should consider that. Um, and they were like, nah, that's that's not relevant. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> like, why am I in this like organization that does not see me for me or doesn't even really care what I have to say? They really are just using me as an automaton.
0: Wow. Um, you know, parents who are both immigrants, you know, your dad being from the Caribbean, your mom being from the Philippines, what, you know, what kinds of things that they teach you about education, uh, making your way in the world careers Were they like standard immigrant parents who encourage the sort of, you know, safety, security, um, stability path.
1: Yes, most definitely. Like my, my mom was a nurse. My dad was a cardiologist. Um, you know, I think, I think, um, what they tell me about their story of how linear it was of like, we did this and we did this we and we did this and then we accomplished all that we wanted. I don't know if that's fully true. I don't know if that's fully true of any immigrant uh, parent. I feel like if we explored that more, we'd find out it was a much more crazy, you know, precarious time. But I remember like, because they both came from other countries, A lot of times they didn't even know how to explain race to us because they themselves didn't, you know, just almost ignored it. It was just another hurdle that they just had to deal with. Like my dad being a cardiologist um, at a hospital in Chicago, he would get all the black patients back in the 70s because like no one wanted the black patients. I remember at one point. Um, he told me that like, he operated on Elijah Muhammad and he, and he, I think met like Louis Farrakhan during that time. Um, and like Louis is trying to talk to him about, you know, becoming, you know, part of the, the nation of Islam. And he's like, I don't understand what you're saying. Um, you know, (laughs) your friend, your friend needs to stop eating unhealthy, you know, like he didn't get it. Like he was just not relevant, you know, like, because he was just focused on his career. So, I think yeah. when we were struggling with our identity of like who we are, we couldn't really go to them and be like, "What should we do about how we feel because they'd be like, "Who cares how you feel? Just get yeah. good grades <laughs> you know like
0: i I can relate it's it's funny because you know you don't really I always wonder, you know, like, I think if I'd been exposed to most of the ideas that I have um, been exposed to here on Unmistakable Creative in my 20s, I would have written it off as a bunch of new age bullshit. Mm -hmm. And even now, I, you know, I'm guilty of saying that about, you know, my roommate says, these are all the books you read, these are often the people you interview. (laughs) He's like, you know, uh, I mean, you know, I say that somewhat facetiously, but uh so uh, what in the world led you down this trajectory? Obviously, you know, it wasn't linear, which is pretty much the case with every single person I interview. So how in the world did you get into doing this of all things?
1: So, so the, the short version is I wrote toy companies when I was in fifth grade after seeing the movie big, right? Because he like
0: great movie <laughs> Boys, for
1: a living. And I yeah. actually believed if I went to FEO Schwartz and started dancing on the piano, a CEO would start dancing with me and then hire me. Like, I believed that was my path, right? God. So I I would write them from fifth grade on my word processor, you know, all the way through high school. And I would get rejection letters back because I think they thought I was an adult because I was typing these out and I was sending multiple letters at a time. So I was spamming before spamming was a thing. And I didn't realize that, right? Um. And then eventually a toy company like Cap Toys that made crossbows and catapults wrote me back um, like and, and told me I should go into mechanical engineering. And then I did that. I really shouldn't have listened to them, but whatever, all right? And then I went to Tufts and I remember doing engineering and being like, man, I hate this. This is horrible. <laughs> like, but but I need to please my father because he wanted me to be a physician. And if I'm not gonna be a physician, at least engineer still fits <laughs> the
0: bill, right? Yeah. Still, you know it's, what I'm saying? Like you Yeah, of course. Doctor, it's, lawyer, engineer. What are you gonna do with your life?
1: Exactly. It's just like it still it still covers it. Um, you know, not lawyer, not physician, but an uh, engineer. Um, and then I remember um, leaving college and then uh, moving to New York and applying to all these toy companies in New York and getting rejected by so many of them. And then I remember writing a letter to Toys R Us explaining they should open up their, their, their toys and play with them in, in the toy store. And that got me an interview with somebody. Um, and then eventually I got a job with them. And then I remember sitting in my cubicle after having that horrible meeting, you know, where they're, they don't see me for me. Um, and then the, the towers fell like in New York and I'm sitting in my cubicle and I'm like, I don't want to die in a cubicle. Um, and I remember choosing to leave the Toys R Us corporate office and going to their store, um, in Times Square, which was going to be the largest toy store in the world. And it had a Ferris wheel in it. And then for the next year, I played with toys underneath the Jurassic Park T-Rex that was like motorized. And it was just so much fun. And then I remember trying, after they laid off a bunch of people after Christmas, I tried to unionize the store, um, wow. which was a horrible idea. Um, <laughs> and then eventually I left New York, went to the Bay Worked for a bunch of other toy companies. And each time I worked for them, I realized like it wasn't what I wanted because they just felt like they were just selling plastic and they weren't actually fun. There was no play to them. And then I randomly found this job on Craigslist where they were teaching kids engineering with Lego and it was these seven nerdy dudes. And I just started working with them. And then like, I don't know, 12, 14 years later, it was like 400 people, and we had built like one of the largest Lego inspired STEM organizations, like in the country, if not the world. But the whole time we were doing it, we were just making it up. Like we had no idea what we were doing. You know, we were just playing, and then we would just hire people that were also down to play, almost like we were in a playground being like, you want to play? You want to play? Um and then I remember eventually tech companies starting to contact us and being like, "Do you do stuff with adults?" And we were like, "Yeah, sure," <laughs> even though we didn't. And we were like, "Yeah, of course," because we just said yes to everything. And I remember as we were running a lot of these team building workshops, all these adults would talk about creativity and collaboration and connection, um, but they weren't playing at all. Like they were being so serious and being so like adulty right and i was like yo this is a really big problem like there's a deeper problem that needs to be addressed so that's when i created rediscover your play because it was about like let's get to the root issues right like let's talk about toxicity in the workplace let's talk about a-holes in the workplace let's talk about um how to not be racist by accident in the workplace let's talk about how you need to play with your inner child because like there's a lot of damage that you had as a kid and it's affecting all of your work right now. So like that's why I did all that. It was like, yeah.
3: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away.
2: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age, led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and Yeah. Well, as a, as a Lego enthusiast, you have no idea what a big smile on my face. In fact, I did a workshop for Citibank and, you know, in an effort to teach my productivity strategies, the last half of the the second half of the day, I divided them into teams and I made them assemble complex Lego sets, you know, and it was, uh, it was interesting to see like how, uh, you know, you could take productivity principles and and basically apply them to Legos. So so um, I want to, I want to kind of, you know, step back here and, and start sort of with this idea of play, because, you know, as I mentioned you before we hit record, like I knew I wanted to talk about education. It, you know, we start out with play sort of being part of our education system, right? You look like a kindergarten classroom, like what I remember from kindergarten classroom is building things like, mm-hmm. bl- you know, blowing bubbles, like, you know, the only, you know, play project that I really remember hating with a passion was that it was a sewing project where we made these like dolls and you had to stuff it with cotton and i remember <laughs> procrastinating on that for months on end until the teacher was like maybe you should finish this um but the thing that happens is that seems to be less and less and less a part of our you know sort of way of being socialized in the world the way we're educated uh i mean i can't imagine going into a college classroom where people are playing with legos like right what, what you know, what is the importance of this in education? And, and, you know, why is it that, you know, it doesn't play a role later? Like, why do we stop?
1: Ugh, why do we stop? Well, but you I, don't have
0: recess after a certain grade.
1: Well, I, well, first, how many recesses did you have as a kid per day? If I... <laughs>
0: If I remember correctly, it was probably one. And I know I remember in the Michael Moore documentary Where to Invade Next, he went to Finland, which apparently is the number one education system mm-hmm. in the world, and they play for like four, three or four hours a day.
1: Right. Right. So there's this interesting like study by Dr. Stuart Brown, who's like the doctor of play, and he studied um mm-hmm. the first ever school shooter back in the 1970s. Like, the one that went to the clock tower in Austin and he was studying his brain after he, the guy died and he found that um um and he and he did research on his on his childhood and he found out that that this guy rarely played that he suffered from what he referred to as play deprivation and like a lot of people say the opposite of play is is depression and like what the reason I ask about the recesses is because we've reduced the amount of free play you know in schools every year um and this the, the the amazing thing about play for kids is that they get to choose they get to choose where to go what to do i'm going to play here i'm going to play here or maybe i'm not going to play at all maybe i'm just going to watch right um and taking away that and then on top of that having parents then then are over scheduling you with like design play you rarely then have the opportunity to like be autonomous right and then on top of that i was just saying this to my friend william in another interview where when you are born all of your parents are constantly telling you what to do like They're constantly trying to be careful. Like, be careful. Don't do that. Don't do that. And I think by the time you're like 14 or 15, you've heard 40,000 no's from parents, from teachers. And then on top of that, when you go to school, you have to raise your hand. The goal is to get good grades. There's a certain way you're supposed to do everything. So many shoulds are happening all the time. And you're just being indoctrinated that there's a certain way in which you're supposed to show up. And that way in which you're supposed to show up is not you. Like, like if you're being yourself, you're, you're being mischievous, right? You're being (laughs) right. And I think, and this is why I really love the title. Unmistakable creative is for you to be creative is almost a rebellion against all of that. All of, all of what your teachers said, all of what your parents said, all of what society said all of what like your friends that are telling you, like you got to buy a Tesla because everyone has a Tesla. Like everyone is like telling you to live a certain way. And for you to then be like, nope, no, nah, I'm going to follow my curiosity and just do what I want is such a revolutionary thing these days. And then the most ironic part is then schools will invite you back and be, and praise you for being so creative. And then you're like, But you didn't help me. You were telling me the whole time not to
0: be this. So I find that so ironic. Wow. Well, I mean, so for parents listening to this, because, you know, we have a lot of parents who listen, what would you, what advice would you give them uh, when it comes to their children, regardless of age? I mean, they probably range from, you know, being young to all, you know, little kids to all the way in high school. Yeah, I would say two things. First
1: try not to live vicariously through them. You know, as much as they're a reflection on you, they're not you, you know? And and one of the greatest gifts you could allow them to have is to figure out who they are. But if you are constantly telling them what they need to do, then they never have time, you know? A second, I would tell them, like, allow them to play more. Like, I don't know if you saw the last lecture from Randy Pausch. Like, it was his last lecture before he died. You know, and one of the things he would say is just like, yeah, he let my my parents let me draw all over my walls. You know, they let me just do all these things. And because of that, they gave me the freedom to play and figure out what I love. They allowed me to follow my curiosity. Um, And then third, I would say your kids do not listen to your words. They watch your actions. They constantly are watching our actions and then mimicking our actions. So regardless of what you say, your actions speak volumes to you, to them. So if you are pursuing your dream, if you are pursuing your bliss, if you are taking risks, if you are actually turning to them and being like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do this anyway. Like you're showing vulnerability that, you know, you, you don't know everything. You're not an expert parent. You're not the perfect parent. I feel like that is such a greater gift to them because then they can emulate that. Like, oh, I don't need to know everything in order to take a risk. I can actually show up fully because my mom or dad are showing up fully in their own nerdy way.
0: hmm Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let, let's talk about how this actually looks in the context of the workplace, in the context of, you know, adult life, because, mm. um, you know, it, it, so for, for most of us, right, we spend so much time, you know, on our computers. It, it's funny because even, you know, I wonder even like where video games fall into this. So, you know, if I want to def- develop, you know, and it's weird to even think about, you know, saying, oh, how do I incorporate a practice of play? Because that seems almost, you know like an oxymoron to say that it has to right, become right, part of my right. daily routine. Uh, but like I was telling you, like, you know, when I spoke to Lee, Lee Zoltov from MacGyver, he said that, you know, just sitting around making models and puzzles was instrumental, instrumental in his ability to do the writing that he did for MacGyver and produce at the level that he did. So what does this look like in practice?
1: I think the way it looks like in practice is that you do need to schedule playtime. You do need to like allocate some time to, to I tell people to get bored, you know, like turn off your social media, turn off all this stuff and sit and get bored. Because then once you get a little bored, then this like quiet voice of curiosity comes up and is like, make that video, you know, write that blog, you know, like, like go speak to that person you've been avoiding speaking to, but you really want to speak to because you like them, you know, like follow that curiosity and see where that takes you. Right. I think a lot of times we're so busy and and we we uh, tie so much of our value to productivity, which was really challenged during these COVID times, because all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm not being productive. Right. (laughs) But but, you know, I, I resonate with this so much. Elizabeth Gilbert says this quote of like, I've never seen someone go through personal transformation until they get tired of their own bullshit. Right, and, <laughs> and um, in March, I had not made many videos. I had done none, and my excuse was like I didn't have time. And then all of a sudden, COVID hit, and I'm stuck at home. And it's just like, all right, dude, get over your own bullshit. Let's go. You know, like, like it, like it challenged me to be like, let me be creative and create stuff with no result. I think yeah. the way in which I define play is anything you do that brings you fully present where you're not thinking about the past. You're not regretting about the past. You're not, you know, having anxiety about the future and you're fully in the process. And when you're in fully in the process, you allow yourself the ability to get into flow. And you know, you're in flow when you like forget about time, when you're fully immersed in something and flow. um, Dr. Mihai, he's a positive psychologist is the doctor of flow and he talks about how when difficulty meets um skill level perfectly, that's when you're in flow. So finding the things that make you come c- most alive and doing those, and you first don't know what they are, so you're just following your curiosity and you're like, oh, I kind of like this, oh, I kind of like that, and seeing where that takes you, all of a sudden you get into like this organic flowing state. And I challenge a lot of people where they're like, oh, I don't know what that is for me. I then challenge them to reach out to their friends and be like, hey, when was the last time you saw me so happy, so present, and so full of delight and joy? And have many people reflect that back at you. And that is the snippet of play that you need to start to explore.
0: Well, so, you know, it's funny because, you know, we've had Stephen Collar here, who's sort of the expert on flow and, and, you know, high performance. And it's funny because you, the way you talk about flow is in the context of play. Whereas I think, you know, in, in the business world, in the world that we typically play, and it's like this productivity hack, right? right. It's like, oh, right. if I, you know, get into flow, I can turn out X number of words. And right. I, I mean, I know this because it's in, instrumental to my writing practice. But I I appreciate what you said about the fact that, you know, the point of this is not to produce some sort of result, which is is, you know, we're like in this productivity obsessed culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember I wrote a post on medium titled how the, you know, how the death of the influencer led to, or how the birth of the influencer led to the death of hobbies. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, like you tell Mm -hmm. people like write the blog post, do the video. And and yet I think that the thought to do that with no end in mind is so, not a part of the way that we've been socialized for the last, you know, 10 to 15 years as social media has become so prevalent in our lives everything is about some sort of an outcome like we never do anything just for the sake of doing it. Um, no, we don't. Oh, I
1: so resonate with that blog post because it literally now when you see parents talking with their kid about soccer they're like yeah he might go pro and it's like what are you talking about what are you doing why are you putting all this pressure on on like kids to like turn their hobby or the thing that they they love into something you know more and we do that to each other too now where you're like oh i'm just picking up the guitar oh you're gonna you're gonna become a musician now like it's like dude like I remember being in like Denmark with my nephew, Sage, and we're like at some like small pub just hanging out and there's this guy playing this weird instrument and then Sage, and he was super young at the time. He was like, maybe like, I don't know, 10 or something. And he was just like, why do you play that? And the guy was just like, I play it because I love it. And he's like, do you get paid to do it? And he's like, nope. (laughs) Like you know and it just was so foreign to sage even at like 10 years old that this guy was just doing this thing just for fun and it's like i don't know when we we bought into all that like like that i think is is one of the biggest myths and and you know as being like a creative sometimes doing the most random weird thing that leads to no result is what creates the genius that you write next
0: Yeah, well, it's funny because I I remember when the iPhone 11 came out, like I was seeing that people were making these documentaries and I always wanted to make a short film. And so I made a documentary about my the women in my family and what amazing cooks they are called Zero Recipes. And I remember I was like, God, this is the first time in the last probably five or six years because, you know, between unmistakable creative and, you know, raising investor money, writing books with publisher, I was like, wow, the only reason I'm doing this is for fun yeah and it was a blast like i and and the thing is that you know even if you do that thing just for fun, like I learned so many things from that process that I could right. bring into my other work right, like oh. I learned a lot about story structure, which is helping me shape narratives on the podcast
1: right, and I think when you let go of the results like that and you're so fully immersed in the process and so fully present, then you uh you open up so many more opportunities of what is possible and i think when we get so results oriented we become like a a groomzilla or a bridezilla where if it doesn't turn out this way in this exact perfect like process then i'm going to be disappointed and you miss out on all of the other like opportunities all the cool things that you could possibly do I, I refer to the play-oriented mindset, like the travel-oriented mindset, where you just are saying yes to everything. Right? You're like, I'm going to hop on this moped of this random person and then they take to some <laughs> random island, and then on that island is the greatest party, and you, you know, you connect with people and watch the full moon, and then you meet someone that you fall in love with, and you did that all because you said yes. Like that's the magic of of play and just like pursuing your curiosity. And I think a lot of times we we cut that off because we want to get something so badly because we want that instant gratification.
0: So what does this actually look like when you go into like a corporation or a tech company where you're like, I'm here to teach you how to play? Because, you know, I, I don't imagine that that would be it would be kind of an oxymoron to say, hey, I'm the guy who is known for play. And then you put up a bunch of PowerPoint slides.
1: Oh, yeah. No, no, no one. It's funny because we work with a lot of like tech companies, right? None of them none of them want to talk about play. They they want to talk about flow, they want to talk about creativity, collaboration, connection, and what's hilarious is like all those words are in the context of play. So a lot of times we have to use the corporate buzzwords of flow and things like that. But then what we really like to tackle um and I just ran this workshop with my friend Gary in Australia right before COVID is we love to tackle really hard issues that they're dealing with. So the workshop we ran in Australia and also at Inbound um, was called How to Deal with A-Holes at Work Through Play. And and that whole workshop is a workshop of understanding where is the toxicity that actually exists in your team? How do you address that toxicity? How do you have that hard conversation with that person that is bringing that A-holeness to the to the team and and causing all this strife, right? Um and we actually have them play that out, right? How do you confront that person's boss? And then also how do you also look inwards and look at your own inner, you know, we call it it's so weird. We look at your own inner a-hole, or your own inner critic, and be like, what, what is it that this person is triggering in me? And what do I need to do to work on myself to set boundaries? so that I can set boundaries with this person so they don't treat me the way, you know, um, I've been treated. And when we've run this workshop, we've had people cry and laugh and just feel fully connected with others because, first off, everyone's playing, so it's like this safe environment. But then secondly, um, everyone now knows they're not alone, right? Right. Um, And I'm running another workshop with my friend Tashan right now for the uh, HR Virtual Summit um, that's coming up in October. And that's all about, like, how to not be racist at work by accident. And that (laughs) workshop's all about putting people in the shoes of a person of color and being like, this is how it feels. This is how it feels when you ignore our suggestion. This is how it feels when you don't recognize, you know, that we might be going through a lot when someone gets shot, you know, like this is, this is the, this is the experience we're having. And I'm going to bring you into this experience for an hour. Um, And then what other workshop I'm working on right now, that's really interesting is where we just cut through all the office politics and just be like, what's the problem? What's the issue? Why is everyone walking on eggshells? Let's, ex- let's explore that. So we're always trying to address a pain, but we mm-hmm. do it through an experiential process where they actually get to play, and uh, I—it wasn't Einstein that said this quote, even though I attribute it to him. Um, but they say that you can learn more about a person in an hour of play than a year's worth of conversation, and I believe that because kid, because the kid self in you sees the kid self in someone else.
0: Hmm. It's funny because I, I think I feel that way when I'm either, you know, on the mountain on a snowboarder or in the water surfing. Mm-hmm. And those are the, it, it, it's, it's, you know, th- those are my true sort of flow generating activities. And it's funny because like, why do you do these things? And, you know, like both of them are phenomenal exercise. You get in really good shape. And I'm like, yeah, talk to anybody who does these things. And they're like, it's unlikely they'll mention the exercise is one of the benefits. Right. It's like, that's just a convenient byproduct. Right.
1: Right. Like, like surf, you surf, right? Yeah. Yeah. See, I I love surfing. I wish I actually knew how to surf for real, but there's something so magical about surfing because it really is not about the results. It's so much about like feeling, you know, feeling the energy, feeling the process. It's very, like, it can be very woo-woo, but from the positive psychology standpoint, it's just like, it's recognizing being fully present, you know, looking at the patterns and then just, you know, and just fully savoring the moment. And when I talk to a lot of surfers, I feel like they are so much more present with me just because of the play in which they do. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, so what ends up happening? I mean, you've talked sort of, you know, because I mean, obviously, like these companies are results driven, you know, that like, that's just kind of the nature of the beast. Um, What what do you actually see as far as the results go afterwards? Well, the results are that I a lot
1: of organizations um, and more so individuals feel more empowered to have harder conversations. So they're willing, like, we'll come back to an organization and be like, so how, have you know, like, how's how's the toxicity levels? How higher are they in comparison to how they were before, right? Um, how comfortable are you now in being able to speak up at a meeting that you didn't feel like you could speak up at earlier, you know, or... Um, how is the turnover of your people of color at your organization since we started running these workshops with you? How much more aware are your HR staff and how many more conversations are they having with black and brown folk about how to create a more inclusive workspace? So those are the results. The results are are people are taking more risks and they're having more conversations that are more vulnerable.
0: Hmm. Wow. So one other thing I wonder, let's talk about the intersection of technology and play because so, you know, I am the weirdo and I've mentioned this a thousand times who plays sports, video games, but could give two shits about what's actually happening in sports. Like this is why, you know, like my, I, in fact, this is so bad that one year I was in a fantasy football league at my office. And, uh, you know, and I, I didn't know what was going on in the NFL, but I picked all my picks based on Madden and they were like, dude, your fantasy team sucks. All these people are injured. And I was like, they're all really good on Madden. They're like, what year? of Madden do you have? And it was like a two-year-old person. Yeah, yeah like version. I got
1: Bo Jackson. I got Bo Jackson on my team.
0: Well, you remember the Bo Jackson Tech Mobile days, I, right?
1: Exactly. That's what I'm referencing. I love
0: that. Game. <laughs> yeah. so much. Well, he was like the fastest guy on the game. It was, it was him, like and, Lawrence him and Lawrence Taylor. It was just him yeah. and Lawrence Taylor all day long yeah well so but the thing is you know video games are so video games are part of culture like so how does technology play a role in this like what is the intersection and what's the balance because that's you know one thing my roommates and i've been talking about it is you know how do we have less time on tech like as much as we love playing video games and incorporate other kinds of activities
1: yeah so i I someone asked me this recently where they were like is is our video games do you consider video games play and i was like well, if they let's look at the let's look at the markers, right? Does it make you fully present? You know, does it meet your difficulty and skill level together? Does you know, you know, are you like, do you sometimes feel in flow? Yes. Oh, awesome. Then yes, at times it can be. I think just like binge watching Netflix, you know, there's a point when it's just like you meet a certain moment where you're like, okay, I gotta stop. Like this is not working <laughs> yeah. anymore. This is just this is just me feeling like so much pain like i've like i've eaten too many cheetos like there's you know so i think with everything it's more of the the moderation and also really asking yourself like why are you doing it how do i feel when i'm doing this thing right yeah. when when you're on like there's 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 ways of showing up on social media where it could be healthy where you show up you say hi to a bunch of your friends Um, you know, you create really cool stuff and then you get off and then there's unhealthy social media where you show up and you just scroll for the next four hours. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's just like, it's, it's like anything. How do you want to show up in that space and, and asking yourself, you know, I would challenge people when they're like on their phones or playing video games at some point asking like, okay, is this still bringing me joy right now? Because if it's not, then stop and do something else, you know? And I feel like that's kind of, that's it with anything. It's just like, there's a moderation, but also there's a humility of being like, I'm not going to be happy all the time. I don't need to be, right? But I can always follow my curiosity. I can always like explore stuff. And when I don't like it, then I move on to something else. And then I come back to it. And I think a lot of times we're constantly looking for the silver bullet that's going to make us happy all the time. But you don't actually want that. You don't want the whole buffet all at the same time, right? Like you actually want to be hungry. So you look forward to the food. So I feel like that is how people need to embrace technology.
0: I love that. It's funny. I was thinking, I was like, oh, you know, my moments when I'm getting irritated is when I'm down by 25 points in a game. Exactly.
4: Exactly.
0: You're like, should I close this game? Should I just quit? Maybe I should just quit. Well, let's, let's, I want to ask you one more question, and this is just out of, of morbid curiosity as somebody who just hung up Dr. Seuss quotes in my office, like with a um, decal from one of the quotes that I loved about reading. What, what role does environment play in all of this? Because I feel like you can actually create an environment that causes this naturally. Like if you talk about, I remember when we had El Luna here, uh, you know, she was talking about working at IDEO and she was like, IDEO is a place that ta- mm-hmm. is, a, you know, the culture of IDEO is that these are a group of people who take their play very seriously. Mm-hmm. So what's the question? I guess, you know, what role does creating the environment uh, play in all of this? And how do you create an environment that naturally happens? Like, I mean, you could do stuff like keep, you know, even design schools, right? Apparently they have like building blocks just lying around for people to screw around with or tinker with or, you know, Rubik's cubes on your desk, that kind of stuff. So what role does environment play and how do you create an environment that? Yeah,
1: I think the environment, I mean, as much as like, you know, having ping pong tables and having like certain, you know, chairs and, you know, and, and like a slide that goes down in Google, as much as those play some role, I feel they don't play as much of a role as much as giving freedom for people to show up and play however they want to. So I remember mm-hmm. being at, um, I forgot the company that does League of Legends, and we were running some event for them, and then at the end of the event, it was like 30, 11 p.m. at night, And this was like a Friday and nobody left. They all went and played more League of Legends together. Like there was like this, it was more the atmosphere of like all these nerdy people being like, I just love hanging out with you because you're so, because you're just like me. And I think a lot of organizations need to be thinking about how are you creating, when I say environments, opportunities for people to be playing experiences for people to be playing, fostering that, like having, like, I really did appreciate that, that Google at one point allowed their staff to pursue, um, another project that had nothing to do with their work just because they were curious about that. Creating those opportunities, I think are mo- even more important than the stuff that's around. The stuff is yeah. great, but it's more really challenging your, leadership to be like how much of a playful environment are we creating do like asking the the lowest person on the totem pole do you feel you can express your opinion at a meeting do you feel you can actually take a risk here or or are you just pretending to be someone that you think i like and exploring that more will create a much more authentic playful environment for people to actually actually show up fully
0: Mm, i love that It's funny i think i'm gonna have to finally order that lego set that i've been hesitating on after our conversation well it just makes me think that you know like i think like it's tempting to say okay this is an expense and you know whereas i realized like wait a minute this could be an investment that you know produces a lot of other ideas because i remember even you know i was teaching uh like a you know introduction to notion and how to use it and I was stuck. And then I remember, you know, sitting around playing with the Lego set and just the way I organized all the pieces, I was like, wait a minute, now I know how to explain this concept and in notion because I went and played with the damn Legos.
1: Yeah. And and just and just thinking about that and thinking going back to tech is like y- you can't talk about play without talking about TikTok. Like a lot of people don't, I think, that don't that aren't on it, don't really understand it. But what I think is so magical about TikTok that does not exist in Instagram. Twitter and Facebook is there's a lot of people just playing on there and then mm-hmm. they can they make some stupid ridiculous video and then you can duet the video meaning like you can play with a person even though you don't know that person and then you can also take their audio and then pretend to be them as well so there's so much play happening there that when covid hit there were so many people are like well I want to you know I don't have anything to do and I can I can't binge watch Netflix forever you know, I can uh, play video games forever. Let me hop on this TikTok thing. And then first you're like, oh, these people are super fun. And then you're like, I want to play in this playground too. So there's something magical about um, pursuing a future where the fun is. Kevin Carroll, um, this play, amazing play enthusiast and advocate, talks about this all the time. You know, You know, he was Nike's creative catalyst and he talks about how the future is where fun is. It's where everyone is going. It's, it's where all the energy is going. So when an organization's like, what should we do next? How do we survive? It's just like, yo, figure out where the fun is, dude. Figure out where everyone is fully engaged and fully in flow and fully
0: playful. And that is the future you should be pursuing. Mm. Wow. Um. Well, this has been mind-blowingly cool and uh, just really, really yes! enjoyable. So, I have one <laughs> last question for you. Yes, which is how we finish all of our interviews. I know you've heard me ask this before. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: Uh, the way in which I think of it is, I think of when you were your nerdy, weird, strangest self. Like, if you think about that, like how strange you were as a kid, um, and allowing that inner child to actually bubble back up and appear again as an adult. Because the people that you think of that are unmistakable, the people that you think of that are extremely memorable, the ones that have the most amount of impact are super weird. They're super strange. They've gone completely against convention, and they're just showing up fully in their strange, nerdy, quirky, weird, playful, um, awkward self, but they don't apologize for that. And I think that's the part that I feel is unmistakable when you're willing to show all of yourself, all the imperfections, because then then you give permission for someone else to be like, oh, that person hasn't figured it all out, but they're making stuff. So maybe I can too.
0: Amazing. Um, Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and your insights and your wisdom with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, uh, your work and everything that you're up to?
1: Sure. Well, first, thanks so much. This has been super fun. Uh, People can find me at rediscoveryourplay.com. Also, I recently uh, wrote um, or contributed to an article in the New York Times called How to Add More Play to Your Grown-Up Life Even Now. So if you just go to New York Times and type in play, it should pop up. And then I make a lot of my ridiculous videos on my um, Instagram page, uh, which and the handle is Jeff. Jeff Harry plays J-E-F-F-H-A-R-R-Y-P-L-A-Y-S. And that's the handle for Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, all of it.
0: Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? This isn't a story about tech taking over, it's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The 4Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash 4Keys. Use the number 4, K-E-Y-S, that's unmistakablecreative.com